You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Andrea Harrison. Her newest novel is Redwood and Wildfire. She's also the author of Mindscape. Her collaborator in song, music, and lyrics, Pan Morgan. Thank you for joining me, Andrea. Thank you for having us. This is wonderful. Thank you. It's great. Now, um, Andrea, this is such a wonderful collaboration. What brought this original project to mind, the book? Where, Where did you get this idea? Um, I wrote another book that was terrible, and then I revised it, and it became this book. Um, I was just very interested in uh, turn of the 20th century performers. I'm a theater artist. I teach theater, and I have done research on this period, but I, you know, never really understood it, and so I wanted to embody it. I wanted to bring the people to life. So I thought about my grandparents' generation. My great aunt, my grandfather, inspired me greatly in my life. So I had my great aunt's voice in my head. She was telling me, you can do the research, you can find it out, and you better write this book. So I did. That's wonderful. Uh, Pan, talk about uh, creating the music. You had to learn to play the banjo? I did, <laughs> which um, was a little surprising for me because I didn't, I didn't, well, I didn't think that I loved the banjo. I, I didn't, wasn't ever really drawn to it. But then when I started learning how to play it, I, I, I became enamored of it. And it's, you know, the instrument is originally from Africa, and then it came here, you know, through, you know, the terrible institution of slavery, and then many people picked it up. And so in that one instrument, you know, so many American cultures are embodied, you know, like, you know, Irish and Scots-Irish kind of melodic stuff versus African sensibilities and African scales and, and ways of approaching rhythm. And in fact, the instrument is kind of a lightning rod in a way for you know, strong feelings from people that I meet on the street. (laughs) Um, And the lyrics that I did are actually from her book because, you know, the character Aiden Wildfire in the book is a banjo player, which is why she wanted me to play the banjo so I could do his lyrics. So I wrote the melodies for her lyrics that are in, you know, they're in the book and everything. And I also came to love the banjo as well because I was writing a character who loved the banjo. And so, you know, it it gave me like different ears and we both now love the banjo. So it's great. It really embodies the feel of the book. And one of the things that I love about your your reading, you're a great dramatic reader, first and foremost, but you have wonderful prose, and the prose really bubbles up from the period. So I'd like you to talk about how you created the prose and how that kind of, if that actually did bubble up from your research. It came from my research. Um, so I did a lot of research. I read original documents. I read people's journals. I read letters. I read um, essays people had written at the time. I read polemics. I I read, uh, you know, ministers, you know, speeches. Um, I read, you know, plays and things from the time. But I also, my great aunt uh, was born in the 1880s, and she was from the Carolinas, not Georgia, but I figured I could, I, you know, okay, fine. So I could hear her voice and her use of English when I was writing. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I live in Massachusetts. So I, you know, I didn't speak that way unless I was with my family. And we also, both Pan and I, went to Georgia. So we went to Sapelo. Georgia. We went to many times to Hog Hammock, which is an all-black town on Sapelo Island, and we listened to the people there, and they brought me back to my family to when I was growing up in the 50s. And so I could hear the idiom. I could hear it. And, and when I wrote, I would 
you know, call up my great aunt or call up my grandfather, who was a Baptist minister, and his oratorical style was just in my head. So I had that at my disposal along with my research. So I had real memory as well as like good research. And when I put it together, I could trust my instincts to write it. Uh, Pan, did you research the music? You know, I've been listening and listening and listening all my life. So I grew up listening to American folk music and every kind of music I could get my hands on from all around the world. So yes, I would say that I've been researching all my life so that I would be ready to write her songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been like a lifetime passion to learn about music from different parts of the world and different parts of America. You know. Now, a- Andrea, one of the things, tell us a little bit about the, the basic scenario of this book. It's really fascinating uh, um, setting that you picked. Uh, how did you come upon this? And, and just tell us about the, give us, a, how did you first meet Redwood and Aiden? Uh, they were in another book. And in the other book, uh, they were the past of the characters who are in the present. And I kept trying to think of it as a backstory, and they would be referred to. So, you know, what happened, I, I know a lot about, I teach African American studies. So many people came up from Georgia, from Mississippi, from Alabama. They came up to Chicago, to Gary, Indiana, to Pittsburgh. At the turn of the 20th century, there was what is eventually called the Great Migration that really takes off a little after my book. But people were starting to leave the South and come to the cities to find, you know, the promised land. So, and also, I was very much interested in Native American history, the five civilized tribes that were in the South. Many of them had to walk the Trail of Tears, leave their home, but some stayed. So the Seminoles, for instance, they stayed in Florida. They didn't all have to, like, get out or leave. And African Americans and Seminoles have a really close connection. So all that was very interesting to me, and I have been studying this history for my whole life. We have family mythology that there are Cherokees in our family because we're from the Carolinas where the Cherokees were. So we had very fair-skinned black people with what we call heavy hair, straight hair, and fair eyes. And so they could be anything, but there was family mythology of all the possible things they could be. And one of it was Cherokee. So I grew up with that as like, you know, my heritage, my sense of myself that I had this multicultural family. But, you know, in the 60s, I was just black, you know, black is beautiful. So we didn't like really go into all of the details or fine points of the entirety of my ancestry because black was beautiful. And I really wished I had spent more time like talking to the people and saying, well, who are you and how did you get to look like that and what's your culture and how do they mix and how, how did you survive 1912? You know, you know, I didn't ask any of those questions. So I used research to try to find out about that. And we have a very, very complex cultural history that we don't know about. So I wanted to write about it in my book. Uh, Chicago is an amazingly diverse town. So... Yeah, Pan's hometown. So I had my characters come up from the South, as many would, and go to Chicago, which was the home of the Chicago 1893 World's Fair. And a lot of people from all over the world came there and stayed at that time, but people were coming there from everywhere. So it was, you know, and it was a great film town and a great theater town. So I just said, this is too much of a good story not to be told. So in the in the other book, where it was buried as the backstory, I said, this is the story. Quit trying to bury it. And <laughs> Make it the the story you want to tell, because I was just astonished by, like the big game hunting in Africa film was shot in Chicago, and it was a real thing. 
It's real. It's a documentary. We don't have a copy of it because the film stock dissolved, basically. But they shot many movies, and I read the descriptions of these movies, and it was outrageous how many people were making movies in Chicago. It was like, you know, um, YouTube, you know? Uh, so it was wonderful. Uh, so it was a rich time. And the people, you know, the theater people were trying to figure out what to do with themselves. And, and they were, you know, people from all over. So one of my characters, Saeed, is from Persia, you know, so because a lot of people came and stayed. They didn't, they didn't go back. So I picked, well, not not millions, but enough. Yeah, they came to the World Fair. Yeah, the World right. Fair. And so in Chicago. And so Chicago, I had, a, I had a map of Chicago from the time that showed the ethnic neighborhoods. And every, I couldn't believe it. I, I looked at it and I went, oh my God, it was amazing. And it's not the history that I recall learning. You know, I don't know, maybe somebody told me, but I don't remember it. You know, I got another image of American history. Um, and these neighborhoods were like few blocks and then there'd be another group of people. And I could, you know, I was like, wow, I, I, how did they get on or did they get on? So I would read the newspaper articles um, about just what were the headlines, what were you know what was going on. So it was fun reading newspapers from Chicago of the time to see like a lot of crime. Chicago was a you know a, a really um, a wild west kind of place with guns and people shooting each other early on. <laughs> so it was it was a um, really amazing rich town and also there were there were so many artists and thinkers and so many different world views coming together and you know and it was so rich that I I said this I, I'm telling another story about Chicago because <laughs> I love it so much so I think that does that kind of you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Now, now, I love the kind of uh, magic realism in this, and, and that's I think it's really well done. And I like the way you use it to kind of externalize um, what the characters, their relationships to the world. And I think that's one of the powerful aspects of this kind of fiction is that you can use um, these magic to, to – people can say in magic and do magical things that they couldn't possibly do to say things they couldn't possibly say otherwise – and as well with song and, and uh, poetry. So I'd like you each to talk about, you know, the externalization factor of music, in your case, Pan. Tell us how the music kind of externalizes emotions and things that might not come across otherwise. I'm floored by that question. Well, I mean, the one thing that I can say to you is that when I do these songs with Andrea's book, I personally feel like I am transported into another state almost and I think it's the power of her lyrics you know of Andrea's lyrics that she's written and the complexity of the relationships between the characters and I feel like because music is so it's so ephemeral or something you know it's there and then it's gone you know you can really um, use it to um, be really evocative about things that you can't that you can't always um into words and so even though there's lyrics and everything I mean the lyrics are very atmospheric and and evocative and very they're they're almost collage like you know it's not like you you have some sort of narrative that you can follow in each of these songs it sort of gives you an impression or it gives you a feeling that just is fleeting and I'm being inarticulate (laughs) music is a conjuration that's yes that's what I'm trying to say but you're saying it better (laughs) music is a conjuration (laughs) yes I do think your music it seems transportive. It, trans- it really transport us. It takes us to that place, that emotional place. I can use music to go places that I can't go. It's almost like I feel that I can do the magic that's in the book, that I can actually go to another time and I can be another person and I can bespeak some other spirit through music. You know, I almost feel like 
as a musician, I have more than one spirit inside of me. Mm. And I have many more than one. Mm. I don't only have one voice. I have many, many voices. Mm, yeah. So as soon as I start doing music, all that starts to happen. Mm. And, and so I feel like it's a, a great joy to try to sing a whole book because I feel like all those characters are churning and coming through, you know, through the music, you know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, because I'm a theater person, so to me, there's theater magic, and I actually believe, you know, we have to do all of our rituals to get the spirit to come down and to make the, the, the reality that the audience believes in. So hoodoo, which is uh, what I talk about in the book, is an African-American uh, sort of syncretic, uh, that is, it's a, a combination of, like, Irish, Native American, Scots-Irish, uh, Native American, and African-American traditions, but the whole idea of it is really it's performance. Like if I do my, my, my ritual stuff, then I can make the world be, I can conjure the world I want. So it's like, you know, it's like the power of the imagination. It's like the power of vision. And it's the power of the artist, which creates our reality. So on the one hand, you know, so I, when you're talking about like magic realism and, uh, you know, and I don't, I, that's a great word um, because I think it's real at the same time that, that it's magic. Um, so Sometimes the stories we tell are... are more real than yeah. a bunch of facts but I feel like we are trying to conjure, conjure. a better yeah. world yeah. or another kind of world that's um, that allows more voices by doing this piece. Yes, you know? yeah, and like so that's the hoodoo that we're doing, right? And and for me, the like one of the central uh, sort of principles of hoodoo it relates to sort of West African traditions uh, that you know of ashe, like the power to make things be. Uh, so. Yeah, Ashe means the power. It's, you know, Ashe is the power to make things be. And I'm doing it. You can't see me, but I'm doing a West African dance gesture, um, which would be to offer offer the, the world its reality. Um, and so that's what hoodoo is also. And, and, and so I feel that... The, you know the the central concern of the book is really like have your visions and make them happen that that and that's the the power of hoodoo and that's magical because we have like we make meaning there's you know we i mean you know i deeply believe we like we all together we invent our world and and it's our choices our beliefs our music our efforts our actions we trans form like random atoms into you know meaningful experiences and that is the power of hoodoo and I think that that's what I'm working and, and, well, you know, and art books. by nature is hoodoo. I mean, art so that's hoodoo, yeah. that's why a lot of the early, you know, musicians are viewed at, you know, they're, they're, they they have their mojo working, um, you know, so they can really, like, art is a prayer for what you want. Yeah. So, and what you believe. And, and what you want to manifest. And what you want to manifest. I'm like echoing what Pan's saying. See, she could I'm say all this. Yeah. We've so, gone long enough, we'll just start talking. So, I, you know, I really, I'm, I'm deeply persuaded by the, you know, not, okay, so, you know, time travel. Yeah, you can time travel. Like, you just have to get yourself there. That's what theater artists do. If you put on the corset, if you put on the shoes, you put on the makeup, you put on the wig, suddenly you walk just like those people did, wearing all that stuff. So you put on your, you, you get your props, you get your costume, you get your banjo, you get the language, and you see those actors, they disappear into the role, right? And they are somewhere else. And I have seen that so many times. I, you know, it's true. And I know that they understand by embodying a role, you understand something very different than just like if I just read that you know women couldn't breathe 
right? You can read that intellectually in their, they, in their corsets. Put one on and you so, oh my God. <laughs> it's, you know, or this, you know, certain kinds of movement are not possible in these clothes. And I, you put them on and that's why actors have to wear their costumes while they rehearse. Because you have to figure out how you have to do every little thing wearing your costume. And that's like a, you know, a very typical thing that you do in a rehearsal period. But it helps me as a writer to, to figure out how to like, okay, I, I want to transport the audience the way an actor is transported by wearing the clothes and partly music transports us. If you play a song from a certain time period, then I, I see it happen all the time. People go back there. They're suddenly, you know, they suddenly smell the food, hear the, you know, everything that was going on. So I want to do that with my prose. You know, that's my, you know, that's my effort. I, I want to get us there so that we can also be in our moments now because I think there's wisdom you know, I, I believe in the ancestors have a lot of wisdom to offer us, and I want to be able to channel that so that we can do the future we want, because they imagine me, right? And so I want to imagine, the, you know, the next world and offer them the, you know, like I have all sorts of possibilities that they couldn't imagine, but they imagine me having them. So that's what I want to do, too. Well, we imagine you writing a lot more great books <laughs> and some yeah. fabulous uh collaborations with Pan. Well, Pan has a wonderful album. Um, I, I think our work, we cross-pollinate one another, so she has a wonderful album called Wild Blue, and it's just amazing. It, it just came out, and it really fits with Redwood and Wildfire, so the two, that's why we're on the road together. She can say something about her album. Well, she's not saying anything. I'll keep talking about it. It's just, it's amazing because she does like country music in my mind where she really uses all the cultural influences of, um, of the Americas but also the world to really talk about the same kinds of things like, you know, having a vision. I've tried to absorb it all. You know, I've tried to absorb everything that I've heard in a really respectful manner so that when I create a song, like say some of the songs I did for Andrew's book, there are blues references and there are Irish melodic references, etc. But I've I've integrated that so deeply inside of myself, yeah. so that I can embody it and and right. use it in a way that's authentic to me. So I'm not just sort of using it as some a sort of exotic spice yeah. or something or as a gimmick or something. I'm trying to. So sometimes you might not even, you know, hear you know. Uh, the influences exactly mm -hmm. you might ha hear an echo or you might hear something goes by some color mm -hmm. goes by but that's because it's all been integrated inside me and to me that's a very res respectful way to learn from other people and to make use of without using <laughs> you know well, what you've learned you know, from them, without appropriating you know, without appropriating yeah that's a better word and so in my my album I think that I I think that I've done that I've I've used all the the sounds that I've heard throughout my life in a way that's very authentic to myself and to my vision it's the difference between sampling a drum and learning to play the beat. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So we're, we're not sampling here. We're trying to, be trying to be it. become the music and the words that we write and play. Yeah. I think you've succeeded. I've been speaking with Andrea Harrison. Her new book is Redwood and Wildfire. And Pan Morgan, her new, or her new album is... Wild Blue. Thank you for joining me, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>